Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Our scripture reading today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As a child of the 1980s and 90s, my first exposure to the ethos of my generation was this movie called The Breakfast Club. In this movie, it's a story about five individuals who are locked into a library for a day, serving a Saturday detention. And these five people are totally different. There's a brain and an athlete, there's a basket case, a princess, and there's a criminal. And over the course of the day, they fight and argue, they goof off, and eventually, Time wears them down and truth comes to the surface. They start sharing a little bit more about who they are and they come to realize that they actually have some things in common like shared suffering and some shared experiences. They have likes and dislikes that are the same. And through the course of that day, they forge some relationships that they probably never would have forged if it weren't for that situation. This was not a situation that any of these people wanted to be in, but it ended up being an experience that taught them more about themselves and helped them cross some long-held boundaries and form some better relationships. You know, I think we're in a situation similar to this. None of us have asked for this situation to happen in our world today. None of us like it. None of us really wanted this to take place. And like in the movie, we are locked in our homes right now, together with people that we have relationship with. And in our homes, there's some vital relationships that we can grow and build, invest in, and maybe even reconcile and heal. Being forced to be at home might be the fire that we need to test us, to reveal what the health of these relationships really are. And it might just be the opportunity to purify, sanctify, and help forge these relationships to be better. So for the next three weeks, we're going to spend time talking about these key relationships that happen in the home. Husband, wife, parent, and child. And our hope is that we might actually capitalize and use this moment for us to build these relationships to become stronger, better, and exactly what God designed them to be. So there's two ground rules for us to get started together if we're gonna do this the right way. The first one is this, 
that we have to stay engaged. Now, you might not be the subject of every sermon we're talking about. For example, today we're going to talk about husbands, and you might not be a husband. You might not ever be a husband, but we've got to be able to stay engaged. And here's how we're going to do it. The first way is this might be a role that you're going to take on, husband, wife, parent, or child. And if you're going to take it on someday, you want to be ready to do that. So pay careful attention so that you're ready to take on this responsibility. This also might be a role that you are going to partner with someday. So if you are a wife, you have a husband. If you're maybe going to be a wife, you're going to have a husband. Vice versa, if you're a husband, you're going to have a wife. Or maybe you will eventually have a wife. Same thing with parents and children. And what we need to do in this moment is actually take time to understand the other people in our lives and the role that they have given to them by God. You see, with greater understanding comes greater abundance of patience and grace with each other, and we can grow in that. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to be a husband or a wife or a parent. You might be thinking, I'm never going to do that. How can I still stay engaged? Well, the Bible presents to us the fact that marriage and parenting are the two key relationships that God has given to us to understand how we are to relate to him. Jesus is our true bridegroom that all of us who are followers are married to. God is our true father that all of us as his children long to relate to. And so if you never experience marriage or parenting in the physical realm here in this world, you are experiencing them in the spiritual realm. And this is your opportunity to understand God and Jesus even better. So rule number one, stay engaged. Rule number two, stay focused. Relationships are a combination of people coming together and being connected to one another. That means for relationships to be good, there are multiple variables at play. There are people and circumstances. And if we're going to improve and build on these key relationships in our family, we're going to have to learn to stay focused on the one variable we can control. And that's me. The disease that oftentimes plagues marriage and parenting relationships is the disease of being an expert in the other person's faults. A marriage has never gotten better because a husband has a PhD in his wife's shortcomings. A marriage has never gotten better because a wife has a 37-slide PowerPoint presentation of all the faults of her husband. Children have never really flourished or grown just because parents can identify all the ways that they fall short. That's not how it works. There's always room for us in these relationships to be growing. And if you're growing, I can't guarantee that the relationship will always be better. But if you're only focused on the other person, I can guarantee that the relationship never will get better. So that means no side eyes, no elbow jabs, no see I told you so's. Stay focused on you and how you can grow to become better in your role or better understand your partner's role. And if we'll do that, we'll have our best chance at getting stronger. So let's start with the husband and his ministry to his wife, because that's exactly what it is. It's a ministry to her. Our text is in Ephesians chapter five, and the foundation of our text in Ephesians five is the whole chapter. It begins by telling us as Christians that we're supposed to walk in the love of God, 
to walk in the light of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God, and to be thankful for all the things the Lord has done for us. And then finally in verse 21, he tells us to be submissive to one another. Yes, both husbands and wives, parents and even children have to learn what it means to be submissive to each other. Now the way that they are submissive is distinct. Each role has to take his or her cues from somebody to learn what it means to be submissive. So for example, the husband takes his cues from Christ. The wife takes her cues from the church. But both are forms of submission. Now we don't have to go very far or get too deep to really get to the crux of what this sermon is all about. There's four simple words that really capture what the husband is to do for his wife. He says, husbands, love your wife. It is absolutely clear who he's addressing, husbands. It's absolutely clear who the object of this command is, your wife. And it's absolutely clear what the command actually is. Love, husband, love your wife. And the rest of the text is really explaining to us what we're supposed to do, how we do it, and even why we do it. And it spends its time convincing us, encouraging us, and convicting us to obey this simple husband, love your wife command. Let's start with what are we supposed to do? And you saw it there, it's very simple. Husband, love your wife. You're supposed to love her. And I can just hear the way Paul writes this. It sounds like a father talking to his son, saying, your job is to love that woman. That's what I want you to do, son. And we husbands, oftentimes like children, can be full of excuses. But, 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 but she's moody or she's irritable or she's hard to get along with or she doesn't listen to me or doesn't love me. And here the father is looking at you, husband, and saying, listen, I'll take care of her, but your job is to love her. No excuses at all. You notice he doesn't put any conditions or qualifiers there. He doesn't say love her when or love her if. He says, husband, you love your wife. You see, God is poking us men in the chest. And he's saying, your one job that you have vowed to me that you will do is love this woman. No excuses, no blaming, no shifting away from your responsibilities. That's your job. God will take care of the wife. He'll take care of all these other things. He says, your job is to love her. And I think for some of us, that might be the thing you need to hear today. The spiritual smelling salts that wake you up to your God-given responsibility to love this woman. Well, how are you supposed to do it? And here's where he tells us to take our cues from Christ. He says, you're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. And the word he uses for love is the word agape, which is the word that is used for God's love towards people who are in need. It's his sacrificial commitment to those who he loves and helps. That means a couple things for us husbands if we're gonna to learn to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means first of all that this kind of love is a choice. God has loved us because he made a decision of his own mind and heart to do that. This kind of love is not a reaction, it is a choice, it's a decision. It's an act of our will. We must make a decision 
and decide to do it. This also means that this love is independent. Loving your wife is not dependent on how she does, how she lives, how she behaves, how she acts. Regardless of what she does or what she says, you have been called by God to love this woman. Love in a marriage is not just affection that answers affection. Like if your wife does something nice, then you do something nice back to her. No, this is a commitment that you have been called to keep by God. Paul gives us a picture of Jesus and how he did it. When he said, look to Christ, it was Jesus who gave himself up for the church. Literally, he means he came alongside of us, saw our hurts, our brokenness, our need, and willingly gave up every bit of his life for us. He handed it over to us. He said, all that is mine is now yours. And that begs the question, brings us to our third point. Why would Jesus do this? And then why should we do this? If you read in verses 26 and 27, he says it this way. Here's why Christ loved the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When Jesus laid down his life, he was doing not just what we needed, but also what he wanted. Do you notice that? That he laid down his life so that he might present to himself the church. Yes, Jesus, when he died on the cross, went to the tomb and was resurrected, did what we needed him to do, but it was also his personal highest joy. Hebrews tells us this, that it was the joy that made him go to the cross and endure the shame that came with it. You see, this is the paradigm shift that we have to make as husbands if we're going to love our wife like Christ loved the church. What we have to do is actually make our highest joy their very best good, what they need, what's best for them, even their joy. Notice what he says at the end of verse 28. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. You see what happens there when you make this paradigm shift? Jesus didn't die just to give us what we want whenever we want it. He died to give us exactly what we needed. And as we've been called as husbands to love our wife like Christ loved the church, he's not telling us to always just give our wives whatever makes them happy. Because there are times that the thing that our wife thinks will make them happy isn't what's best for them. We need to have the courage to push back, to press pause, to step in, to be patient, and to maybe at times even offer alternatives or even say no. And deal with the challenge that comes when that happens. This means that you make her highest good your highest joy. You see, if we live our lives as husbands just saying, I'm gonna do whatever makes my wife happy, we actually don't love our wife, we love ourselves. We love the ease and comfort of things being smooth all the time, not always being right. If we really love her, we're gonna do what's best for her at all times. Paul points us again to Jesus to show us how to do this. You notice first he says that Jesus laid down his life 
Then he sanctified the church by washing her with water with the word. You see, husbands, when we have decided that we will lay our entire lives down to love our wives, we then earn the right to be able to participate in their sanctification. And you notice what, again, the picture that Paul gives us about washing with water with the word. The image of that is actually like a sore or an infection that you bring warm water to and you gently pour over it because you know it hurts, but healing is necessity. You see, he's calling us to be first men who are willing to lay down our lives and do what is best for our spouses and then gently and tenderly care for them in the ways that they need it. This is no easy task, and we need to be willing to step up to handle that responsibility. This is heavy, but do you see what God is doing? I don't know about you, but as a husband, this expectation feels almost impossible to me. Here is an imperfect woman that God has given me, and he's told me to love her perfectly, selflessly, completely. When she is weak, when she is tired, when she is irritable, when she is overwhelmed, when she falls short, he says, do not stop loving her perfectly. And when I drop my excuses and I stop blaming circumstances or other people, and I own up to the responsibility I have before God to love her perfectly, I learn pretty quickly that I actually can't do it. Natural strength has no ability to do this command like God has given us to love her like Christ. I can't do it on my own. And in this relationship, God is actually bringing me to the place, not only in my marriage, but in my life that he's wanting to bring me to the place where I ask him for help. My only option is to approach the throne and say, God, you've given me an imperfect woman and you've told me to love her perfectly and I want to do that, but I fail day after day and I need your help. And in that position before the throne of God, constantly asking for his help is exactly where I was designed to be. To love her perfectly, I need more of God's love for me and me. To forgive her, I need his forgiveness of my sins. To be gracious and patient, I need to be reminded of how gracious and patient he is with me. And through the gift of God giving me an imperfect woman and the command to love her perfectly, he's bringing me to the place where not only my marriage will be saved, but my eternal soul will be saved. You see, Jesus is the only true husband who can do this perfectly. Guys, we're not going to be perfect, but we've been given a target to aim at, an expectation to meet. We have been called to love our wife exactly like Jesus loved the church. And the more we work to do this, the more we'll grow in awe of, in respect for, and in love for what Jesus has done for us. So whether you're a husband or not, as you consider the command of God to, for husbands to love their wife like Christ loved the church, you begin to see how big, how sacrificial, how all-consuming his love is for you. You know, Jesus as this true bridegroom is actually the love that each and every one of us is looking for. Marriage is beautiful, designed and given by God to teach us and grow us and shape us, but you know, in heaven, 
we're neither married nor given in marriage, Jesus said, will finally be reunited with the love that our soul has been looking for. And so if you find yourself restless, frustrated, missing that, here's your opportunity to look to Jesus as the perfect one who has loved you like no one else has. He is not only the source of your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy, but he's also the source of your acceptance, your connection, and your love to the one who you were always designed to be one with, and that's God himself. If there is any way we can help you in your connection to Jesus Christ, would you call the number that's on the screen right now? If you don't wanna call, you can text it. There is somebody right now in this moment available to talk with you through text or phone or even email to help you get right with Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we'll help you learn how to become a Christian. If you are one, but you're not walking in the love of Jesus, we'll do everything we can to help you learn how to do that. Just please call this number. Someone is available for you. The time is now. We're here and ready to help. Come find the love you've been looking for.